Welcome to Poker the Mountains Podcast. This is Season 2, Episode 29. I'm Jim Hamill. The Poconos lost someone recently who had a major impact on our region, having served for four decades as the Executive Director of the Pocono Mountains Visitors Bureau. He went by several names, Mr. Yu, Mr. Pocono, Bob Ugasini. We featured his discussion with Chris Barrett early on in Season 1. Mr. Yu was 87 when he passed away in November of this year. He leaves behind a legacy of hospitality, helping to navigate the changes in the tourism industry and our Pocono Mountains. He loved the Poconos. And based on the outpouring of love for him at a memorial service recently, the people of the Poconos loved him. He leaves behind family and friends who will now carry on his tradition of promoting the Poconos. This episode is dedicated entirely to Mr. Pocono, Mr. You, Robert Ugasini. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this inaugural edition of Pocono Perspectives. This show is something that we've kind of been thinking about for a long time to talk a little bit more about how we happen to be here in the Pocono Mountains and all the things that have happened, believe it or not, over a few centuries. You can't start this without uh, talking to the individual right here that's to my left, Bob Ugasini. Uh, Bob was with the uh, Pocono Mountains Visitors Bureau for a number of years, and he's going to talk to us a little about the history of the Poconos. So, Bob, um, tell us a little bit about the Pocono Mountains Visitors Bureau. How did, it, how did this all start? Well, thank you for having me, too, great. Chris. It's uh, good to be here. Uh, actually, it, it is an interesting story how, uh, how they evolved as an organization. Uh, my research when I was there for 40 years was that the Bureau, in one form or another, started about 1903 uh, as a resort association. And then there was the Western Poconos, the Eastern Poconos, the Lake Region of the Poconos, the Top of the Poconos. There was all these little resort associations. And what they had was, they all had their own brochures, they all had a little visitor center, and their brochures would end at, at the other part's uh, line. So it was almost like, you know, the, ma the maps that show the world ended, you know, at that one, one side. So if you stopped at an information booth in Eastern Poconos, they wouldn't tell you where Mount Pocono was. And what happened was, the leadership in the industry, the, the private sector, they started realizing that the inquiries they were getting, were, were the, they belonged to more than one of these organizations, were the same. They took little ads in the New York Daily News and the Philadelphia Inquirer, and they started realizing there was a duplicative of, of effort. So they had this big meeting with all the groups and, the, and, the, uh, and they said, hey, this is crazy, we're wasting our money. Now we're talking about in the 50s. And they formed a Pocono Mountain uh, Vacation Bureau at that time. So how did it come down to the four counties, the Carbon, Monroe, Wayne, Well, it did start that way. I mean, really, we had members in those counties. And then uh, when the state d d determined that there would be a tourist promotion agency in each county, is when we, then we incorporated the four counties. Because, you know, with Carbon County, for example, in Pike and Wayne, and we had a lot of members, but they weren't necessarily all throughout the county. But you couldn't just take a county as a tourist story and just say, we just want part of the county. But they had like 17 meetings in 17 days, they said, until they formed the, the Pocono Mountain Visitor Bureau. 
Now, the little organizations kept uh, staying in place, but they just had annual dinners and banquets, and then that started to just completely dissolve. So that's how the Bureau, and I think it's, it was a very innovative thing. We were probably one of the first regional tourist organizations in the country, if not the most regional organization. So back then, do you remember how many members started that first year in the 50s? I would say there was less than 50, 60 members, maybe 70 members. And, uh, but they were like, they were innovative people like Harry Kiesendahl and the Honorts and George Kolovas and Paul, these are old, old people. And, they, and they, they were the kind of people who thought like this. They thought more regionally, thought bigger. And, and they could see, the concept here is very simple. What's good for the Pocono Mountains is good for our business. And if you believe that, and they made people believe that because it was true, then it was easy to fold everybody inside of that banner. So I have to ask you, we, we talked before this a little bit, and you told me a little bit about the Delaware water gap and the Poconos and the naming. That's fascinating. How did that all happen? Well, as you know, you probably hear more about this. Delaware Water Gap was the resort area of Monroe County in the area. Uh, they were historic resort area, really. And at one point in time, there was a debate whether the Monroe County area would be called the Pocono Mountains or the Delaware Water Gap area because the concentration of resorts, big resorts, and facilities was in the Delaware Water Gap. The trains would come up and the barges would come up, and it was a very famous resort area. Teddy Roosevelt went there, Fred Astaire was there, others, these are all you know, old people, and the older people would remember. And so that, that was an interesting debate back in those days. But I think it was the fact that there was actually a mountain or range called the Pocono Mountains that really determined the area. And Pocono is a Native American name. Pocono is an Indian name, meaning stream between mountains. And it really uh, came from the, uh, the Delaware River going through the Delaware Water Gap. So when Mountains was added, um, I guess to uh, somebody who doesn't really understand branding or understand what that means, how, how did you first decide to market the brand and then add Mountains to it? Well, what we found was that Poconos as a name was probably more popular even today than Pocono Mountains. But the fact that people didn't know what that meant. You know, we had some research done when I was there and they said, what does that mean? And they just thought it was a made up name uh, and they didn't realize that it was really a mountain range. It was really mountains. And so the branding we try to uh, instill was that this is not just a, a made up name. This actually is a geographic area called the Pocono Mountains. And that's why we try to emphasize the word Pocono Mountains versus Poconos, because Poconos became a symbol really more of, the, uh, of some of the resorts, the honeymoon resorts in particular, and it, it, it had some negativity at the end of their era. So that's one of the things I wanted to talk about too. How did, how did we evolve to the honeymoon capital of the world? How did that start? The Pocono Mountains is the birthplace of the unique setting known as the Honeymoon Resort, where the honeymoon is not just the holiday, but the most splendid and special time of your lives together. The Poconos are now recognized as the honeymoon mecca of the world. Yes, the whole wide world. Well, this is an interesting story, and I'd get a little emotional about it because I'm a veteran like you are. 
After World War II, Johnny came marching home to New York City. And when the veterans came to New York City on boats coming back from the war, they wanted to get married. I mean, their, their girlfriends were waiting at the pier. So there was a huge uh, growth in marriages. And so we, we the, the leadership in that time said, look at it, try to take advantage of this. So the honeymoon business in the Pocono Mountains really started with that, that influx, that tremendous surge of marriages from the, from the boys coming back from overseas after World War II. So how did, um, who were the leaders at that time? Who were the thought leaders that, was it the Kiesendahls, was it? Well, it was Kiesendahl, it was the Honorts, it was uh, uh, Ed Strickland, some of the Mount Airy people. Uh, many of the people are gone now. George Kolovis, Paul Azure. Uh There was a lot of, lot of the early leaders. And, uh, but, but I don't think people realize that, what, I mean, I, I think the marriage rate after, immediately after World War II doubled. Well, you know, there were so many young guys overseas. Right. And the minute they came back, they wanted to get married. Right. So there was a huge market there, a huge market. And uh, so that's how that started. And there was a place called Farm on a Hill there in, uh, in, in Monroe County that specialized in uh, uh, couples only, honeymoon couples only. And a good story about that is they actually, they, they used to have the couples, <laughs> believe it or not, do the dishes, do their own cooking, because they were training them wow. to, be a, <laughs> to be a married couple. And I thought, wow, what a, what a way to get free labor here. You know, the, everybody had to do their own, uh, make their own beds. And it was really, really kind of interesting. But you could only stay there unless you were on your honeymoon. So how did we get from that to Mount Airy to the Caesars Resorts? And how did Well, that... I think Caesars and uh, really, uh, with the heart-shaped bathtub and and the involvement there, and, and, uh, and the honeymoon. See, here's the thing, as you know, our business problem is midweek business. I mean, that's a year-round situation. And a honeymoon couple usually gets married on a Saturday, stays one night where they got married, and checks into a resort on Sunday. So we had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, of a couple on their honeymoon. Well, that was perfect. Then you still had Friday, Saturday, Sunday for, for other couples or other business. So it was a great piece of business because uh, it was it it fit exactly into our business problem, which was midweek business, and that's why it became such a lucrative problem, a lucrative issue. But you know the market changed because when I first started with this, a lot of honeymoon couples had never flown anywhere, you know, and we had a lot of business from New York and New Jersey, and you know today instead of Niagara Falls or the Pocono Mountains or the Berkshires or whatever, people are having their honeymoon in Hawaii or Maui or France. So it, the, the whole market, it wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the decline of our uh, honeymoon places, although we still do some honeymoon business. It was the market changed, just like car industry and et cetera. So it was the airline deregulation, it became cheaper airfare. And, and cheaper airfare, but it was really you know, in those days when you got married, you probably never been with your spouse anywhere. Had never taken a trip with your your mate. Today, most of the couples have already lived together for a while, or have taken trips together for sure. Well, that never was the case then. So we had a more uh, unexperienced couple in those days than we do today. So the um, 
how did that decline kind of end up to where we are today, being right in Kalahari, for instance? How did that happen? Well, it was interesting how, you know, for one thing, we have to, we, we have to, there's a fact here. The honeymoon business never was our biggest business. Family business was always our biggest business because we had many more family places than we did honeymoon places. But the fact that it was so unique, I mean, there was no place in the United States that had eight or nine resorts which only you could be there and stay on your honeymoon. That was very, very unique in the whole United States. And we, we used to have like 12 pages of ads, full page ads, and brides and modern brides. So we dominated the market. And at one point in time, we were the number one honeymoon destination in America. So when that started declining, everybody said, well, what are we going to do now? And the couple's business was becoming very strong. But we went through a period of reshaping our image and our area because actually at the decline of the honeymoon business, it became a negative because our resorts weren't keeping up with the times and they became 80, 90 resorts in the 2000s. And so it, it, it was becoming a little bit passe or whatever you want to call it. It wasn't up to date. So anyway, and then, so we started promoting the outdoors more, you know, more outdoor skiing and all those things. And then what happened, one day, I got a call from an individual from Great Wolf. And Great Wolf uh, said, we want to build an indoor water park here in the resort here in the Pocono Mountains. And I said, well, that's great, but what is that? <laughs> I don't know what that is. So they said, well, we have, about, we have one in, in Wisconsin Dells. And I was familiar with Wisconsin. So I called my counterpart in Wisconsin Dells. I said, hey, they're a great company, great people, et cetera. So we took them around, and they found this location, and they built it. And I helped open it with Regis Philbin that time. And Great Wolf really opened the door. And because it wasn't long after that that Kalahari was here. They were, they were like McDonald's and Burger King. They wanted to be near each other. And then Kalahari was looking for, they had located another property over in the eastern Poconos. And then they made a deal here. And of course, at the same time, or near the same time, Cableback started building their indoor water park, and so did Split Rock. So we had the four of them evolving at the same time, around the same time. So, uh, so one thing, because because you brought skiing with Camelback, right? Is it true that they helped develop the equipment to make snow? Is that right, or no? The, the real, the real, you know, here's a, a fact: snowmaking was really not invented. The first time snow was made in the Pocono Mountains was at Big Boulder Ski Area. And the, the New York Times did a story on that. It's still there. I have the, the clipping. That one of the individuals there was working on it, working on it. One of the people worked there. And he was trying to find a way to make artificial snow that would work and stay on the slopes. And he did. So it really started at Big Boulder Ski Area. I mean, on, on the first commercial uh, ski area. And then it evolved. Obviously, without snowmaking, you know, we wouldn't have the ski industry that we have. Camelback really was the largest and, and wasn't connected with any resort. See, Big Boulder was connected with Split Rock and Shawnee with, uh, you know, Shawnee Resort. And so it, 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 Camelback was out there, was the place for everybody, and it was big. 
And that's and, why it was so important. And I don't know if you would agree with this, but uh, to me, Camelback seems to be the epitome of our entrepreneurs. You know, you have the ski area, you have the indoor water park. So a family could come in, they could snowboard, they could ski, they could raft, they could do the tube raft uh, snow tubing, and then do the water park. Yeah, it's a perfect combination. It is. It is. Uh, and I think I think what you see here, even at Kalahari and others, there, there's such a demand for something that you could do year round and, and and not have to worry about the weather. And you know, we we always had you know a variety of issues marketing the area. Number one, the seasonality of it, and number two, the weather. Well, these places are weatherproof. I mean, you could come here in November, February, March, and you still have that experience that you have an indoor water park, which is really a one big attraction. Beautiful too. But I have to ask about you. Um, so you were one of the first, if not the first, president and CEO of the Visitors Bureau, correct? No, there was a uh, John Calhoun was there before me, and then John moved on to something else. And I was running a, a little visitor's booth for Lake Wallen-Pawpack at the time. I had just come back from uh, the Air Force. I was in the United States Air Force. And I was in Korea and Japan uh, during the war, Korean War. And uh, when I came back, my, fa my family owned a resort on Lake Wallen-Pawpack, and they wanted me to work there. And I said, eh, I don't think so. So anyway, I, uh, they gave me this job. And then I, they offered me the job at the Bureau. There was only three of us there at that time at the Bureau. And what year was that? Uh, 1968. 68. Which is 50 years ago. Yeah, 50 years ago this year. I was only 12 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway, so that's, that's really where I started, yeah. And you oversaw an incredible expansion and rebranding of the Poconos at that time. Yeah, you know, we... One thing I think that's interesting about our area, maybe not necessarily to a lot of people, is how we keep reinventing ourselves. I mean, the reinvention of our area from a, a rural area that most of the people came here hunting and fishing, and then people who came here at the resorts and the families, and then the honeymoon business, and now the, the indoor water park business and the ski business, and the hiking, biking, trailing, whatever outdoor activity can can it, it's almost deja vu to go back to that but that's a reinvention of our brand and I think it you know when you look at other resort areas and I'm not being negative but the Catskills and some of the others they never try to reinvent themselves they kind of got stuck in their own brand their old brand and I think the Bureau was the impetus for having that rebranding and I think under your leadership and what's going on today it's it's become more apparent that that's the the, the way to go. And I think, but that we have a we have a great legacy. I mean, with people like you and, and some of the entrepreneurs you named. You know, you have Mount Airy. Mount Airy was one I, I always um, remember growing up in the region. You know, Mount Airy to me is just such an icon brand, but it says what the Poconos actually is, right? I mean, and uh, look at it today. It was, but you know, again, we went. We you know, none of this was all you know, sweet and roses. We. At one point in time, Mount Airy was boarded up. Plywood on it, believe it or not. It had gone belly up. So consequently, it was, it was again the, the, the reinventing of, of Mount Airy into the fine casino that it is now uh, by the De Naples family that really made that happen. Because we lost some places. 
And the places we lost, see, the, the thing that people really don't understand is we were basically a summer resort area. And the resorts that were here had a hard time converting to a full-time year-round uh, resort because their facilities were built to only be used for, two, for the summer. So it was only until the advent of skiing, Camelback and others, that we started becoming really a year-round area. I give the ski areas the most credit for us being, uh, all the credit for us becoming a four-season four area. Because without them, what are you going to do here in the wintertime anyway? You know, yeah, there's great now selection. with the indoor water park, now we have that. So. But there's just great selection of ski areas, too. They're just, they're amazing. From every level, right. Right. And um, when you look at a Camelback, a Shawnee, a Blue, Blue Mountain, big, uh, big Great Bear, Big Bear. Big Boulder and Jack Frost. Big Boulder and Jack Frost. I mean, you just have such a variety here. And, um, right. you know, the other things to do, too, in the winter. So I always say to people that we are a four-season destination. We absolutely are. Well, you know, a lot of people, they say, well, you know, we don't ski. But, you know, if you promote an area as a ski area, you get people who come anyway. Right. At least you got, they know something's going on. They may go snow tubing. They may go snowboarding. They may just go cross-country skiing. They may do something else. And the fact that it's, that, that it's promoted as a winter wonderland, as we are, we like to promote it that way, uh, I think that's the... Uh, that's the market that we're trying to achieve. So what, starting here in 1968, looking to where we're at now in 2018-19, could you have seen fore, foreseen that growth? How, how, do you, well, how do you feel about that? I think, you know, I, you have to remember that none of this started with, there was no subsidies in our business. Nobody got any grants, nobody got any tax abatement. Nobody, there was individuals, entrepreneurs who used their own money and went to financial institutions. Many of them were just families who started from nothing. Woodlock and others, I mean, they started a, a boarding house, the Summit, uh, Fernwood, all of that. So when, when, you, when you saw that uh, an entrepreneurial spirit we had here and the fact that these people were ready to reinvest in their businesses, that was really the the strength of the area. If we were all chain hotels with, you know, I don't, I don't want to knock the chain hotels, but I mean, you know, that didn't really have on-site ownership, we never would have survived some of the time period. We went through gas crises, we went through, oh, you know, gas uh, rationing, we went through hurricanes and and droughts and gypsy moths and whole kinds of things in an era but you know the, the fact that we all had an investment that these people had their family investment in the area we I always knew that that would be something would work out because it, it was too much there there ask you to look in your crystal ball what do you think we'll be looking at 50 years from now Wow well I won't be here Chris. <laughs> you might be I you might, might be <laughs> Uh, I don't know. You know, here's the thing about all this new stuff. And as an old timer, I can say this. You know, it, it's all great to have the internet and, you know, uh, the marketing campaigns you have today and, the, and all of the new innovation. But the number one factor you still have to have is taking care of the customer. And today it's even more important than others. Yeah, with things like TripAdvisor and all those other things. I mean, so what, what I see 
is an evolution of more and better service to the consumer. Because without that, this is making all these trappings, indoor, outdoor water parks, ski areas, it isn't going to work. It's taking care of the customer and making sure they come back. The best customer you could ever have is a repeat customer. And if I see 50 years from now, I would like to see more of a concentration on finding a way to keep the customers to continue through generations. <clears throat> you know, I used to always say that we had a lot of people came here for camp, we had a boys and girls camp. So they came to camp here. Then they came on their honeymoon. Then they came on it with their families. Then they came back as seniors. So if we can keep that evolution of an area that can transcend generations, then we have a secret of success. So, you know, everybody, uh, I think it very affectionately, I know, calls you Mr. Pocono, and they should. Uh, and you've been with us, shepherding us through all these things that, that really have, um, have evolved over time. And I think with you, if you hadn't been doing that, I think the Poconos would be very, very different right now. I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm not an immodest person. I'm not, I'm not. But, you know, you have to realize again, it, I took my strength from the owners, from the people and their families that were here. Because once they accepted the premise that it's, what's good for the Pocono Mountains is good for them and their businesses and their families, it was an easy job. Because... You had their, you had their, they had your back all the time. And I learned a lot from those people. They were great entrepreneurs, and they still are. Yeah, thanks. I mean, they, they epitomized the entrepreneurial spirit of America. And, you know, I'm not sure I could really add to that, but all I could really say, Bob, is thanks so much for being here. I wanted to get you on the first episode of, of Pocono Perspective. Well, I may not be around for the second episode. <laughs> no, we don't want that. We don't want that. But uh, I'm Chris Baird here along with Bob Bugasini, and I want to thank you for watching Pocono Perspective. <laughs>